beginning in verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And that great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, now the power, now the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. Because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives Unto the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you that dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth, and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you, Father, for your word. There was a time when mankind was represented in heaven by the devil. We didn't have an advocate like we do today. And when God would assemble the angels and they would give a report from all the four corners of creation, the devil would come up with them. And you can read about it in the book of Job. And God would ask him, now please remember for a moment, that way back before history began, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. And he was cast out for one reason. Because there was sin and pride found in him and he corrupted himself with that sin. And how did he do it? He did it by saying, I'm as good as God and I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. You see, that's his malignant nature. And he has always wanted to be able to walk through heaven and just talk and speak. And be respected. Why? Just having his words uttered in heaven gives him a sense of importance because he has rebelled against God. And he was cast out with a third of the angels. But now he's back in heaven again. Saying now, I don't mean right now today, but, but now at the time when Revelation 12 was being written at that moment and up until that time, he somehow had gotten back up there. How do you suppose that happened? When Adam and Eve turned their authority that God gave them, having told them, rule and reign over the works of my hands. But then they turned around and submitted themselves to a murderer, to a liar, to the devil. And he became their overlord. And the devil began to rule the world and rule over humanity with the authority that God had given to man. He took it from him because man gave it to him. And so now, when the assembly would take place in heaven, and the angels would come and report on what was happening around the world, there was Satan. There was Lucifer standing there like he was somebody, and he was man's lawyer, man's representative. Guess what? He was no defense attorney. He was a prosecutor. We were represented by a prosecutor in heaven. 
And you remember the story of Job. How God said to Lucifer, well, have you considered my servant Job? He sure loves me. Boy, look at how much he loves me. Look how faithfully he is to me. And, and Satan said, well, <clears throat> let me tell you what I see. I see that you've blessed him. And you've bought him. And he doesn't love you as much as you think he loves you. In fact, he really loves the blessings. And he loves everything that you've given him. That's what he loves. In fact, if those things weren't there, he wouldn't be loving you and putting you first. Because just like all the rest of these people. And see, this is what, this is what Lucifer did. He was the accuser of the brethren and he stood before God on behalf of all humanity and he dangled God's image. Man, made in the image of God, now broken, now marred by sin and he's got them by the throat and he's holding them up like a bunch of captured rabbits. And he's saying, yeah, you made them, but they serve me now. You could create them, but you couldn't keep them, could you? So who's God now? Who's Lord now? Who's all-powerful now? You see, that was, that was the devil's rationale. That was, his, that was his, uh, his mentality. I, with sin, can capture their love. I can pervert their love. And you know what? He was right. Even though he's a liar and an accuser, he was right. Man's love had been perverted. No matter how much he tried to love God, he'd always end up loving the world more. Loving his moment-by-moment -moment existence more. And so the devil just kept talking God into let affliction come upon him. After all, you must judge them. They are in sin and they're in rebellion against you and they've fallen from your grace. They have no grace before you. And so the accuser ruled man and answered for us, before we had a Redeemer in the presence of God. But then, Revelation 12 happened. Hallelujah! Revelation 12 happened. You see, in that chronicle that God was giving the Apostle John, showing him in the times to come what the end times would be like, and all the terrors that would come upon mankind, in the middle of that chronicle, he stops and he inserts a piece of history. And for us, that piece of history goes back 2,000 years to Calvary, when Jesus, the man who was God, condescended into humanity, rose from the dead, having shed blood and given his life for our sins, the pure, sinless Lamb of God, laid his life down for us when he rose up, just like the psalm said. You could hear the announcement in heaven, Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty. Hallelujah. The Bible tells in Romans, uh, Revelation 12, that when Jesus entered heaven, He entered as man's advocate, the one who ever lives to make intercession. And the Scripture says at that moment, it created a flashpoint of eternal uh, uh, controversy. And the Lord won that controversy and Satan was expelled forever. Expelled. And he was expelled from heaven because his accusations were overruled. He could no longer argue before God. They're broken, lousy sinners. God said, that's what you thought. 
until you slew the Lamb of God. You offered up their sacrifice. You offered up their advocate. You fool in your malignancy. You killed the Lamb of God. And He defeated you. Why? He snatched death out of the marble jaws of death. He stole the victory from hell. And He ever lives to make intercession. Hallelujah. The accuser was overruled. And the Bible says, Never again would there be a place found in heaven for him. Please think about that. The Bible says not only was he cast out, but never again would he ever be able to enter heaven. Can I tell you this morning that in over 2,000 years, God has never heard the voice of Satan, the accuser. Satan has never been able to lift his voice into the presence of God. You think that every time you're out there going through trials and you're stumbling and staggering around in your problems and your sins and your mistakes, that there's this big battle going on and Jesus is on one side, no, she's mine, and uh, the devil's on the other side, no, but look at the way she's behaving, she's really mine. And And the way that that tug of war is won is your behavior. If you end up doing good, then Jesus has got you. But if you fail, then Satan owns you. There is no conflict between Jesus and the devil. There's no argument. Jesus doesn't even hear him, doesn't listen to him. He's been cast out. Jesus is risen up. Jesus fills heaven. And there is absolutely no contest against him. Can you say amen? Amen. So now Jesus... As I said, as the advocate intercessor, he enters heaven, exiles the devil forever. (coughs) As the advocate, Jesus represents your need, all of your needs. You know, I know we like to talk to people and say, if I could just get so-and-so to pray for my needs. There's nothing wrong with that. Please don't be discouraged to have people pray for you. But did you know that the Bible says Jesus is your advocate? that he ever lives to make intercession for you, as your advocate, he's pulling for your need. And on the cross, he says, it's finished. His blood, his life, his resurrection furnished everything for any need you will ever, ever have. You can't do better than to have Jesus pulling for your need, representing your need. Why? Because he's already met that need. Hallelujah. Your friend can pray for you, but Jesus has answered the prayer. You've got the answer pulling for you. Can you say amen? He's not only your advocate, he's your intercessor. And the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession. And because of it, he can save to the uttermost those that call upon God by him. So as as your intercessor, hallelujah, as your intercessor, he represents your heavenly provision. So your need is covered by Jesus And your provision from heaven is covered by Jesus. Heaven is your answer. Heaven is your provision. Now you can't find disease, cancer, sickness, oppression, bondage, and addictions, hate and fear in heaven. You can't even find accusations against you in heaven. Down here on the earth you make mistakes, but in heaven there's no accusation against you being uttered. And so heaven is... Got your provision. That's where your provision is. This is why the Bible says, set your affection on things above, 
glory to God. Praise Him. Worship Him. Be above-minded where Jesus ever lives to make intercession. He cast the devil out because he overruled him. There was no longer any authority for the devil to talk. Jesus had shut him down. He shut his game down. He put him out. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So let me summarize all that by simply saying, God don't listen to the devil anymore. Do you believe that? God don't listen to the devil anymore. He doesn't have to. His son, the living word, says everything God needs to hear. God himself is the only one he listens to. He doesn't listen to the devil. You believe that? You, you sure you believe that? All right. Well, then can I tell you this morning, if God doesn't listen to the devil, is it fair to say he doesn't want you listening to him either? If God don't listen to him, does he want you listening to him? If God doesn't need to hear the devil accusing you about your sins, do you think there's any reason why God wants you to listen to those accusations? When I was just a young Christian, I had come out of atheism, so I'd never read a Bible, didn't know anything about God. And the Lord one day really spoke to me. I'll never forget where I was when I was praying. And uh, as a young believer, I was, con- you know, like so many Christians, I was concerned about when I sin and when I make mistakes, what happens to me? Does, does the Lord's love for me, does my position in God, does it weaken Does God's grip on me weaken? Am I less of a child of God? What happens when I sin? Because I sure feel awful. And and when I sin and make mistakes, I feel a million miles away from God. I felt so far away from God. That's how I felt. And the Lord spoke to me something. And even though I didn't understand biblically the theology of it, it it sunk down into my heart. and, And in the years to come, of course, I learned the theology of it. And this was a simple word. This is what he said. He said, son, he said, when you sin, let me talk to you about it. But don't ever let the devil talk to you. Don't ever listen to his condemnation. Don't let him talk to you. And he just explained to me, he said, would your father, when you disobeyed him, no matter how uh, much he disagreed with what you did, would he take you down to the street to the local child molester? And say, here, I I want you to work on him for about 30 minutes. Teach him a lesson. Because he earned it. He deserved it. He he did what I told him not to do. Would your earthly dad ever do that? Why would God ever want you in the hands of the molester of mankind? God couldn't wait for him to be cast out of heaven. Hallelujah. And Jesus to be raised up and, and to cast him out. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, when the Bible says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, here's another issue I think we need to clear up this morning. Um, Years ago, when I would read that Jesus ever lives to make intercession, I thought, wow, he must be busy. I I felt sorry for Jesus. And especially, you know, when I looked at my own life, I thought I must keep him on his knees and think there's millions of us. He can't get a break. I bet he can't stop and get coffee. He can't do anything. And today, my goodness, you, you read the news. They're going crazy in the Middle East. America's burning. Uh, the world's falling apart. Europeans can't figure out up from down. And the uh, whole world's gone mad. Jesus must be in there going, I can barely keep up. 
I can barely keep, oh my God. And he sees his church. He sees his people being tempted. He's like, oh, I got to get down and intercede because I ever lived to make intercession. Got to intercede for him. Devil's pulling on him. Got to intercede for him. Back and forth praying, laboring. When the Bible says that he ever lives to make intercession, can I tell you today, he ever lives. He doesn't ever work. He doesn't ever struggle. He ever lives. Hallelujah. The Bible says he's sitting. He's not standing. He's not running around. He's not wringing his hands. He doesn't see temptation coming up and thinking, I better get down and work out and pump some iron get because I'm going to have to be up all night praying. No. The Bible says he sits. Hallelujah. And his enemies are a footstool for his feet. Hallelujah. The serpent's crushed under his head. Glory to God. He's not struggling. He's not fighting. He's not up there praying. Every prayer he needed to praise, he's prayed. He ended it all with the amen of it is finished. Glory to God. So heaven is filled with the ever living statement. It is finished. You are righteous before God. Hallelujah. It drives the devil absolutely crazy when you start realizing what Jesus has done for you and you kick back and chill out and you put your feet up on the Word of God. And I'm not saying when you sin and make mistakes that you pretend you didn't. Sin's not forgiven because God changed it into something else. That's what the world does. That's what they're doing today in our society. They're taking sin and they're turning it into something good. They're taking stink and they're perfuming it. Are you listening to me? So stink is still stink. So God does not forgive it because he mod, uh, modifies it into something else. He forgives it because his son paid the price for the penalty. And so when you begin to realize, hallelujah, Lord, when I sin, Father, it's not between me and the accuser. I'm not going to allow myself to be accused by the devil. Lord, forgive me. I receive that forgiveness of Jesus. Every time I ask God to forgive me, I always tell him, Lord, I'm asking not because I think your answer would ever be no. I'm asking because I know your answer is already yes. I know that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, that in Christ all the promises are yes and amen. That if I sin, 1 John says, I have an advocate with a Father who's faithful and just to forgive me. He's already forgiven me of all my sins. So I can rest and kick back. It drives the accuser absolutely out of his gourd. And I love that. I've spent way too much time having to take stomach acids and, and try to get myself calmed down and canceled. And, and, counseled, why not let the devil seek some counseling for a while? Why not drive him crazy? Why not put him on medication? Praise the Lord. And so, we have an advocate intercessor that fills heaven as our living declaration of righteousness. However, this message now needs to take a turn. Because at the end of that, Scripture I read in Revelation 12, down to verse 12, it says, But woe unto you, O earth. How many of you are living on earth? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Hallelujah. Most of you. <laughs> it is the 21st century, folks, so anything goes. 
Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Satan's anger is concentrated because he doesn't have any relief. See, he used to have emotional relief because he could walk around heaven and accuse us and he felt so good about it. He's been kicked out, so he's really uptight. And he has to concentrate all his accusatory powers on you and your friends. He badmouths you to them, to your wife, to your husband, talking about you, to yourself, whoever he can. He's limited to the earth, and all he can do is plant his words of condemnation in the ears and in the thoughts of the people of the world. And so he's having great wrath and he knows his time is short. And so he's doubling down his effort. No wonder the past 2,000 years have been tough. It's been tense. It's been tense the past 20 centuries, if you read history, hasn't it? So while we live upon the earth where Satan's been cast out, how do we apply the victory that's in heaven? The rest that they have in heaven. The Bible says, the announcement was made 2,000 years ago. Now into heaven arrives the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom of our Christ. Now his authority has come because the devil's been cast out. They've got relief. Their peace, authority rules. The kingdom of God has come in heaven. So what about the earth where the devil prowls about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour with his accusations? Jesus answered this question brilliantly when the disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. And he said, all right, structure your prayer like this. Our Father who art in heaven. Every answer begins with heaven. The answers don't begin with, oh God, yesterday. Oh Lord, my money, my finance, my wife. Oh Lord, my children. The answers don't start with the problem. They start with the answer. The kingdom of heaven starts from above. So begin your prayer, our Father which art in heaven. And glory to God. I'm not saying, oh God, what is wrong with Christians today? Do they not know Jesus? I mean, every time I'm on the internet and I see these YouTube videos, all these Christians talking, testifying, talking, it's all God this and God that. Do they know him? He's got a name. You know, you can, you, can, you can use a descriptive pronoun like God if you want to, but he came and paid a hefty price so that you could know him personally. The Bible doesn't say all authority is given to the word God. It says all authority is given to the name of Jesus. There's no salvation in the word God. There's no salvation in the phrase Lord. Salvation is in the name of Jesus. It was Jesus, the person of Jesus, the person. God reveals his personhood in Jesus. Jesus says to Philip, have you, Philip says, show us the Father. He says, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? Jesus gives the Father a name, gives him personhood. He reveals his person. What is wrong? It's as though Christians are ashamed to use the name of Jesus. They always talk about God. I hear them witnessing all the time. You need God in your life. What does that mean? You could go to the pharmacy and get God. 
Are you listening to me? You could watch TV and get God. I mean, God is everything nowadays. God is everywhere nowadays. But Jesus only comes one way. Hallelujah. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I, I didn't mean to step out of the message, but this is important. It's significant. Jesus. Can we use His name? Hallelujah. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Name. And so when I pray, I start out with just Jesus. You are my healer. You're Jehovah Rapha. You are my, you are my shepherd, Jehovah Rohi. You are my provider, Jehovah Ra, uh, 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 Jireh. You are my, my uh, um, shield, my sword. Jesus, you are my everything. Everything that I need God to be to me is comes to me in the name of Jesus. I hallow that name. And then Jesus went on and said, The next thing, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. It's as though the Lord is saying, Once you start by worshiping me, once you start by connecting with above, hallelujah, then I know you've got stuff you're bothered about. I know you've got a list. I saw you writing that list. I heard you on the telephone when you were talking with your friends. Oh, my God, we got to pray. We got this such and such going on. And da, 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 da. Oh, my goodness, I, I need to get this before God. So God says, I know that you've got things you want to pray about. So the very next thing I want you to do is thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because before you start jumping all over God, oh my God, you've got to help Remember, Revelation chapter 12, Jesus ascended up and the proclamation, now has come salvation. Now, not in the 20th century or 21st century, 2,000 years ago was the now of God. Hallelujah. Then, God settled everything. Then God healed. Then God delivered. It's for all time it was finished. And so he says, I want you to then move from praising me to declaring. Bring Jesus and his kingdom into your prayer and through your prayer into your situation. God's will will take care of itself. You don't need to lawyer up before God. He's beat you to it. Jesus has already become your advocate. You don't need to go in there and convince God and talk God in. You don't need to inform Him of the problems. It's amazing to me. And I'm not going to criticize any of you. My goodness, I've listened to myself pray. Sometimes I drive myself crazy listening to myself pray. Oh, Lord, this is a wonderful opportunity for you. Circumstances are just going to be perfect coming this Thursday. You could move in and do this and do that. No, Lord, I want to let you know this is the problem. This is exactly how much money we need. And, and Lord, the bills and Father God and so-and-so's been doing this. And, and just lay it all out. Once I get it all laid out, then I'm convinced, okay, now God, he's, he's dialed in. He knows what's going. And I could just see God up there going, oh, I'm glad you told me. I had no idea. I had no idea. My goodness. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Wow. It's great. I could do something now. I couldn't do anything before. I had no idea what was going on. They had me totally fooled. So, so Jesus answered the question, how do we deal with the accuser on the earth? And I love it. He didn't say, I want you to go out there and wrestle with him. Oh, get in his face. Call him names. 
uh, poke at and stab him. Uh, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus did a, I, I watch Jesus. When I read the Gospels, I'm wa- it's like watching TV. I'm watching Jesus. He is tearing the devil up limb for limb. And, he's, and all he's doing is going, be healed. Rise from the dead. Eyes be opened. Demons come out. You know, they're asking him, can I be healed? He said, can you? They said, yeah, all right, you're healed. I mean, he's not like, unreleasing kung fu on Satan. He's, he's not, you know, doing the, the cage fighting with the devil. Nothing like that's going on. So I looked at that prayer one day. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And, and the fact that God wants me to pray that, your kingdom come. So if, if there's a situation in my family that needs an answer from God, and I want to pray. I'm not discouraging you from praying. I'm saying pray, but pray the answer, not the problem. We need answer specialists, not problem specialists. Matter of fact, you could be less articulate about the problem if you're dialed in about the answer. So at any rate, if, if for example, I'm bringing before God a need in my family and, and there's a situation in there, and I'm praying, Lord, your kingdom come. Where? In my family. Your kingdom come in my household. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Knowing that if his kingdom arrives in my family, if his kingdom manifests in my family, the will of God's going to ooze out all over the place. And it's going to tamp down whatever kind of nonsense the devil's been trying. It's going to pluck up any seeds the devil has sown. It's going to cut down any sort of weapons the enemy has planted in my house. Just bring the kingdom of God in. Thy kingdom come will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So I'm thinking about how the Lord wants me to pray that. And all of a sudden it dawns on me. That's an ambassadorial prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be. I could see an ambassador on the phone. He's calling the president. He's calling the Lord Jesus. He's on the prayer phone. Your kingdom come. Your will, I am an ambassador on the earth representing the kingdom of God in heaven. Do you get what I'm saying? I am an ambassador. So the authority that I carry into the situation that I'm praying about is not based on my power, my ability to speak, my strength, my wisdom, my brilliance or lack thereof. It's based on what Jesus has done in heaven. I'm on the prayer, on the uh, uh, ambassador line. Your kingdom come. You got my, got my phone up to the ears talking to you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here in earth as it is in heaven. And the Lord said, how is it in heaven? How did the kingdom come in heaven? In heaven where the accuser was thwarting God's desire to bless people by constantly reinforcing the accusations against them, he was cast out and replaced by Jesus who rose up. So let me say to you, Jesus' entrance into heaven as the advocate intercessor brought forth the kingdom of God and the will of God that resulted in the casting out of the accuser. We're solid on that, right? So likewise, by the very same token, His will on the earth occurs 
when we as ambassadors of the Advocate Intercessor bring His presence through our prayers into the circumstances where we represent Him just as it did in heaven. We are the gates, the doors that open. We allow Him to come in. We worship Him. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. We welcome him into that prayer for our family because we are the ambassador. We're, we're calling in the presence of the Lord. And when his presence comes, he will, the, the devil's going to flee. Have you ever turned on a light and heard darkness screaming and fighting, resisting, trying to leave the room? No, you can't make me leave. Light saying, yes, you must leave. And, and darkness saying, no. And light says, you must leave, you must leave. And eventually light wins. No, nothing like that. The light happens, the darkness is gone. I, I, you know, I never see anything else other. Oh, it was dark, now it's light. Boom, there's no darkness in here anymore. Hallelujah. When you bring Jesus Christ into the situation as his ambassador, praying that ambassadorial prayer, all you know is darkness is gone, light's here, hallelujah. Amen. Job done, kingdom come, will of God be done. Amen. That's how it works, folks. Amen. Hallelujah. When the kingdom comes, the will of God is done. His kingdom authority comes, the accusers cast out, will of God is done. So, Jesus said this, if you want to plunder the strong man, rob him of his captives, you first got to bind the strong man. Now, for years, Christians, I've watched, and I've been part of it, running around binding and loosing. I bind that. I loose that. I bind you. I loose you. I bind and loose, bind and loose. And probably 98% of the, quote, binding and loosing that's done never results in anything. But it, it doesn't stop people. They still, oh, I bind that. I loose that. They think just saying binding and loosing is going to get it done. Let me tell you how things are bound and loosed upon the earth. When ambassadors of Christ, what is an ambassador of Christ? One who is in a particular territory that he's been assigned to by the government he represents, and he is operating in that territory. The ambassador for Lithuania has no authority in Saudi Arabia. The ambassador for Lithuania cannot solve any problems in Saudi Arabia. The ambassador that the United States has, has assigned to Lithuania can operate in Lithuania, but that's, that's where his authority operates, and that's it. So wherever God has placed you as an ambassador for Christ, that's why it says in Joshua, wherever the sole of your foot treads, I have given you. Not wherever you decide you want to pray and bind and loose. It's where the, you have actually physically put your feet down where you have some standing. And so Christians, we need to get some standing. You need to know what territory has God given me. Well, first of all, how about your family? How about your personal life, your relationship? Those are all areas where God has given you influence, your job, your work. Have you made it known in your territory that you are the representative of Jesus Christ? Have you lifted him up? Have you risked being humiliated? Have you risked being laughed at and made fun of because you're not sure how they're going to respond? 
You don't need to worry about that. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is let it be known the ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ is here. You don't do that in tones of arrogance or being pompous. You do it in humility as Jesus Christ himself would want to be represented. But you've got to put yourself forth in the situation where you're wanting to see an answer. Those are the areas where you can pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because you are dialing up ambassadorial authority when you pray. Can you say amen? So, if you are praying for your household, for your family, one of the first things you should probably do is as an ambassador of Christ say, Lord, where do you want me to stand? What position do you want me to take? How shall I represent you in this situation? Then when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, heaven's authority will flow. Will of God will be done. Glory to God. You'll bind the strong man, then you can release his house. That's how we pray for sinners. Um, let me move on. I'm kind of uh, running out of time. I want to make one other important point to you this morning, and I want to mention to you the responsibility of ambassadors. As an ambassador of Christ, representing the uh, advocate intercessor, wherever you operate as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, you have a voice upon the earth and a voice in heaven. An ambassador can ca calls back. He's got a hotline. He has a voice in the territory where he has been planted, and he has a voice back at the government that has sent him. So as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, you have a voice in heaven. Right? You with me so far? It means you can pray. They know your name up there. Glory to God. I, I put it in those terms just so you understand. You, you call. They know you. If you have a, there's a phone. Got your name on it. I'm calling up in Jesus' name. So you have a voice in heaven. Well, let me say to you also that the devil, since he was cast down, remember God said, he's come down to you, O earth, and he is really angry because he knows his time is short. What is he so mad about? He wants to get his voice reasserted back in heaven. Satan wants his voice heard in heaven. That's all that it's ever mattered. He doesn't care that's why the devil doesn't prance around with a red cape and horns and everything and make people worship him, that silliness. He gets nothing out of it. He wants to be recognized in heaven. He doesn't care about being recognized in the earth. That's why the biggest losers on the face of the earth are Satan worshipers. Because he could care absolutely nothing about people worshiping on the earth. So they're absolutely wasting their time. But he really wants to be heard in heaven. So if you have a voice in heaven and the devil wants to reassert his voice in heaven, what's the obvious advice here? Don't let Satan use your ambassadorial authority to reassert his voice in heaven. When you pray, don't gossip. When you pray, don't, don't transmit Satan's accusations to the presence of God. He wants to use your voice to utter his words in the presence of God. And to him, that's as good as him being there. When we represent him through pray, You know, sometimes the intercessory prayer group in a lot of churches could be the most dangerous place to go. There's more gossip that goes on in the intercessory prayer circle than just about anywhere else. You know, people will get in there. and yeah, I'm not talking about our Wednesday night intercessory group. We're a bunch of angels, but... Um, <laughs> Most of the time you get people together and they begin to intercede together and it's like, now this is not to leave this room. 
But I have to tell you this, so that we can pray. But did you know that what he did last week and the trouble that she is in and all this stuff, I'm only saying so we can pray. And do you think the person you're praying to doesn't already know all of that stuff? See, so do not turn your voice over to the enemy. Intercede. Stick with kingdom come will be done. That's where the answer comes from. Can you say amen? I close with this. One of my favorite verses, as you know, if you've listened to me for any length of time, is in John chapter 1, verse 17, where the Bible says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. What that means is the accuser operated under the law. Satan, the accuser, operated under the law where he could just constantly, he used God's word to condemn us. He was able to act as the prosecuting attorney. So under the law, the very best of us were condemned. Job, David, Moses, every single one of them under the law fell short. Under the law, the very best of people were condemned. But Jesus, when he rose up into heaven and he cast out the accuser, hallelujah, he brought forth grace and truth. And under grace and truth, even the very worst of us can be forgiven and be received as sons and daughters of the Most High God. So where the very worst of us were failed by the law, grace and truth has picked up the very, wor the, the very worst of us and, and, and succeeded Amen. where the enemy failed. Glory to God. Amen. So we don't, we don't have the accuser representing us. We've got Jesus representing us this morning. I'd like you to close your Bible and stand with me if the servers would come. At the Lord's table, the body and the blood of Jesus is represented. The body that was broken for our healing and the blood that was poured out. When Jesus rose up into heaven, he carried that precious blood into the presence of God for you and I. And it was laid upon the mercy seat of the ark of God. And the Bible says that that blood speaks better things than that of Abel. The blood of Abel talks about the crimes and the sins of mankind. But Jesus' blood talks about our forgiveness and God's mercy and righteousness extended to us. At this table today, the very worst of us can step into the presence of God as a righteous daughter, righteous son. Hallelujah. And God will never listen to the voice of the accuser concerning you. When you make your mistakes and fall short, the Father himself will deal with you and encourage you. He'll never condemn you and he'll always help you. Can you say amen? amen. So you are welcome at this table as a Christian. Jesus is what makes people Christians, not joining churches, not tucking a Bible up under your arm. It's receiving Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior. That's what makes you a Christian.
So this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, in a moment as I pray, I would like to see the hands of anybody here today who would say, you know, I haven't been certain up till now that I really have given my life to Jesus. But today I want to make the decision to make Jesus Lord of my life. And I want to ask Him to come in. And you understand today that it's not your works of righteousness that God's requiring. He's asking you to receive Jesus' work of righteousness at Calvary on your behalf. Let God give to you what you could never do for yourself. Let Him give you eternal life. And so today, is there anyone here today that would raise their hand and say, Pastor, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to give Him my life. I want to receive Him as Lord of my life. I don't know that I've done that really before, but this morning I'm, I'm driving my stake into the ground and I'm claiming my salvation. Anyone who's not sure, you want to be certain today, just lift your hand and let me see it. Heavenly Father, this morning I thank you for the broken bread and the poured out cup. We know that it represents the life of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. You were happy, you were glad to give your life. Though you dreaded the way that it would be taken from you, you looked forward with joy to giving that life up for you and I. And so, Lord, in Jesus' name, we celebrate you at this table. We remember your death. We remember that it resulted in our life. Thank you, Father, for forgiving our sins. Thank you for making us righteous in yourself. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as I pray over this table of fellowship, I pray for anybody who today is sick or in bondage, anyone who needs a miracle breakthrough, suffering pain and affliction in their body, who is willing to believe you that as we receive communion, that grip of the enemy will be broken. That healing will come. Those eyes will be open. Those ears will be unstopped. Those uh, lungs and sinuses will be healed. Those muscles will be healed. Those bones will be set correct. That back will be healed. Hallelujah. That head will be freed. Father, the, the torment of the enemy will cease and be driven. Poverty, spirit will be broken. And your blessing will come. Father, I thank you for every miracle, every provision that will be released. Why? Because you are good. And you love your people. And you love to bless your children. You love it when we depend upon you and receive from you. In Jesus' mighty name, I bless this broken bread and this cup. In the name of Jesus. I'd like you all now, maybe beginning with the front. Don't be too slow. Just come boldly. Come up. Take one of the broken pieces one of the, uh, the uh, wafers, take one of the cups and just then kind of quickly move off to the side and hold it. We'll eat and drink together.